0: Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to
1: subscribe. We kicked off a new series last week with Pastor Wayne Sanderman. who was here for that. Wasn't that incredible? The revival continues. It was absolutely amazing. And this it's called DNA values we live by. But what is really significant about this this series is that this is our values as every nation uh, global. We are doing all our values, we're talking through all of them. So we started with Spirit Empowered last week, which Wayne did such an awesome job of. And this week we're going to talk about Jesus is Lord. We're going to talk about Lordship. But the issues are they are our values, they are your values. You see, we are the church. I'm a pastor in this house, I'm a leader in this house, but this is your church. First of all, it's Jesus' church, right? (laughs) Belongs to Him. But this is your church, and these are your values. And we want to figure out together, how do we live these values out? It's not about just knowing them, it's not about having a whole lot of good theology, it's about how am I living these values? And that's what Wayne challenged us last week on Spirit Empowered. Are we keeping the Holy Spirit at the forefront of everything we do? Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Are we just doing things in our own strength, or are we trusting for a touch of fire from heaven on everything we do and everywhere we go? And so tonight, as I said, this, the sermon is entitled, Jesus is Lord. And you can turn with me to Acts 9. Acts 9. Verse 1 to 6, it is up there, and I'll read it to you. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. If you're a bit confused about who Saul is, he's Paul. (laughs) This is the transformation that took him from Saul to Paul. And as I was reading the story, it just struck me. This very religious Jewish Hebrew man who only understands one concept of faith, one concept of God, who hates the church of Jesus Christ, who hates Jesus, who has literally murdered Christians, dragged them into prison, made them criminals. In this moment, he has a supernatural encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as this happens, it struck me so much there. It says, who are you, Lord? Right in the moment of his confrontation, he recognizes that Jesus is Lord. He isn't sure who it is. But he knows it's something way more powerful than him, something way beyond him. He says, Who are you, Lord? He is confronted, Saul is confronted with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And in this in this moment, he suddenly understands that Jesus is the one true Messiah. That he is the promised Son of God who is God himself. In a moment, he submits to the Lordship of Jesus, and he is born again, and he is saved from his sins. Yes, even the murdering of Christians. His life is forever changed, and he becomes a follower, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never the same again. And he's totally transformed. The name Saul means the one prayed for, okay? Like King Saul. Israel wanted a king. They were praying to God for a king, and God gave them a king. It ended up being a disaster that forever after was. (laughs) But the one prayed for. But as I was thinking about that, there's an arrogance on Saul, right? He thinks he's right. He thinks he knows what God's will is, and he is passionate and fervent and determined to fulfill that will, and that will is eradicate the heresy of Christianity off the planet. He is convinced he is doing God's will. He thinks God is pleased with him. Can you see the arrogance? And so even though that name is beautiful, the prayed-for one, he's taken it like he's the anointed one. I'm the one prayed for. I'll fix this, right? The anointed one. And then he encounters the anointed one. Messiah means anointed one. Christ is the same word in Greek. The anointed one. And so that's why he changes his name. And Paul means small or humble. <laughs> he went from the one who thought he was anointed and knew everything and knew how to please God to the one who suddenly realized that Jesus is Lord. And the only way you and I as Christians can honestly say Jesus is Lord is if we are willing to be humble and small. If we are going to allow him to be great and awesome and the actual anointed one. And so, what is lordship? The Greek word is kurios, supreme in authority, master Lord. Can you see there's no argument there? Supreme in authority. Is there anything greater? (laughs) No. Supreme in authority. In English, when we use the word Lord, it means one having power and authority over others. And this is the crux. A ruler by hereditary right or preeminence to whom service and obedience are due. Hereditary right. What does that mean? It's in your genes you're inheriting the family name right right preeminence is what supreme authority preeminence there is no greater than preeminent and service and obedience are due to him and so jesus is lord because he is god See, God rules over all things. He is omniscient. Have you ever heard that word, omniscient? It means that he knows all things. It means he has all awareness and all understanding. And as such, he directs the universe and the affairs of humankind with wise benevolence. Psalm 103.19 says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. An established throne is an unshaken throne, uncontested throne. It is established. He is Lord because he is God. Secondly, Jesus is Lord because in his humanity he accomplished perfect obedience, one salvation, and has been given universal dominion As a reward. He is God and he is the son obedient unto death. He is the only human being who is without sin. He is the only human being who obeyed God in every single aspect. Going to hell to put your sin there. Taking the keys of death and Hades out of Satan's hand. And rising again from the dead. And it cost him. It cost him. We see Jesus sweating blood the night before he is crucified. That is not his fear of death. He knew he was going to rise again. You see, you and I are separated from God, right? We were separated from God. The human race is separated from God by their sin. We've experienced separation from God. We just got on with life. We just did what we do. Until we discovered Jesus until we were born again, then we began to understand how awful it is to be separated from God. Jesus, on the other hand, had never, ever been separated from God. Do you understand why he's sweating blood? He had never been out of relationship with his father. And that's what it cost him, because he didn't know what that was going to feel like. Absolutely awful. But he was willing, he was willing. He did ask, can this cup be taken from me? Because he didn't want to be separated from God. But for your sake, for my sake, he did it. Because that is the only way we could be reconciled to God. And Ephesians 1, 20 to 23 says, He raised him, Jesus, from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. That's where we get the term right-hand man. Right-hand man means what? He does everything I tell him. He's the one I trust. He's my second in charge, and he can take over my position, right? That's Jesus at the right hand of God in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, far above all rule and authority. Satan has no authority compared to Jesus, Jesus is the highest authority, the highest power, the highest dominion. And above every name that is named, no other name has the power of the name of Jesus. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Not only on all of earth, but for all eternity, uncontested. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So whether we want to receive it or not, whether we care to believe it or not, he is Lord. Fully and completely, Jesus is Lord. And so the issue of lordship is submitting to lordship. Like I said, there are millions of people who don't believe it, (laughs) You just refuse, and they just do what they want. But that scripture in Ephesians told us that he was given as head over the church. It's not a choice for us. It just isn't a choice. It is what it is. And like I say, the issue is submitting to lordship. Why? Because if we go back to Paul's conversion, we see that he recognized the lordship of Jesus and immediately was born again. Okay, And then we see that um, Paul proves that lordship of Jesus in his life as he immediately obeys the command that Jesus gives him. So Jesus gives him an immediate command. Now get up and go into the city and you will must be, be told what you must do. And Paul does it. <laughs> That's obedience, right? He heard a command and he did it. And that isn't just about what happened when Ananias, the prophet, came to him and prayed for him and he received his sight again. Remember, he was struck blind. And then God does this miracle. Um, Ananias sort of argues argues with God. You know, we we need to read the Bible like humans sometimes. Like, the prophet Ananias, just serving God, worshiping God in his room. God's like, do you know Saul of Tarsus? Ananias is like, yes, Lord. (laughs) He wasn't Catholic, but you know, just... Everybody just does that. Um, And God's like, so listen, he's just become a Christian. You go over there where he is. God, he kills Christians. No, no, just go over there. You pray for him. You heal him. Think about the kind of faith that obedience and Ananias needed because he was under lordship. He did what Jesus asked him to do. But Paul's obedience isn't just that moment of going into the city and waiting for Ananias. It was three days, Right? Paul's obedience is the next 14 years of discipleship that he has to undergo. Now, what's beautiful about Paul is you'll see, if you read that story further, literally the day after his eyes are opened, he's been a little bit discipled. Now he's as gung-ho for Jesus as he was for killing Christians. His passion just transforms like that. And all the wise people around him say, Paul, hold on. You've been killing Christians. Nobody wants you in their church. You are the least desirable guest speaker in the history of guest speakers, right? But let's walk with you. Let's show. And so he starts telling his testimony. He sort of tentatively visits visits Christian meetings, and he tells them their testimony. And they test. And what do they see? They see someone who is born again and under lordship. And they start receiving him. But it took 14 years for Paul to become the apostle we know him to be. He had to be discipled. Because that's our job. So, obedience absolutely is part of lordship. In fact, what Paul's story t- proves to us is that it is the proof of lordship. If you're saying, you can say, I'm saved and be doing whatever you want, <laughs> but you can't say, Jesus is Lord and be doing anything you want. So, um, obedience becomes the issue. And obedience does not mean that we are earning our salvation or contributing to becoming a saved person. That is entirely God's job, right? We have nothing in that. But Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So, only God can save you. We are justified by God's grace as a gift. It is Christ's perfect obedience, not our obedience, that has obtained for us forgiveness of our sins and all the benefits of salvation. And yet, in John 14 verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. See, lordship is about relationships. It's not about rules. It's not about ticking boxes. That's a master thing, right? It's it's in the word, right? Master. He is our master. But he's not a slave master. He's a father. He's an older brother. He's a friend. He's the lover of our soul. He's the shepherds of our heart. He wants relationships. And so we've got a choice when it comes to lordship. We can either uh, relate to him as a master and just be ticking boxes and trying to be holy, or we can love him. And out of our love for him, we can begin to understand his purposes and his plans and his desires and his dreams and his will for the whole universe. And as we understand that out of relationship, we can begin to understand that when he says, do this, don't do that, That he has purpose and meaning and destiny behind every one of those commands. See, Paul didn't know what was going to happen to him. (laughs) He knew he believed in Jesus. (laughs) And then there's a simple command. Go into the city and wait until you're told what to do. And that's how Paul lived his life. He kept waiting until he was told what to do. And when he was told what to do, he did it. That's lordship. But the issue is, Jesus is the one who adds love to obedience. Because that's a way richer, way fuller, way more joyful, way more meaningful, way more reciprocal experience of God than just obeying commands. And so, what often happens in the church is that we discover lordship after salvation. (laughs) we're so happy to be saved, we're crying, we're having this experience, as Pastor Rico keeps telling us, you go through those black doors, there's nothing mystical or weird that happens there, people talk to you and pray for you and help you get your first bit of journey going, tell you how can you keep this going, right? We, it's simple discipleship that happens there for a moment. <laughs> and we come out and, you know, we're seeing the world through rose-tinted glasses, oh my gosh, God actually loves me, He doesn't hate me, It's wonderful. But at that point, we need to realize he is our Lord. I didn't realize that until much later. The church I was in was very big on reading the Bible, but they didn't bother explaining it a whole lot. And so I only got baptized like a year after I was born again, and I only started getting fully discipled when I came to this church, and somebody actually sat me down and said, do you know what it means? Do you know how to do this? Have you done this? Have you done this? How is the Bible reading going? And then I discovered Lordship. And so ideally, every saint should recognize the Lordship of Jesus Christ from the moment of salvation, because there is a difference between being a saint and a disciple. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a saint. (laughs) Do you know that that is absolutely true? Being saved makes you a saint. Now, most of you are looking at the person next to you and saying, ah, she ain't no saint. He ain't no saint. But in Jesus' eyes, you already are. (laughs) Why? Because it costs absolutely nothing to be a Christian, but it costs everything to be a disciple. Manfred E. Kober said that in 1989. There is a difference between being a saint and a disciple. Born again is a free gift. Lordship requires our involvement. It is the effort we need to make to live like we are saved. We cannot work for salvation, absolutely not. But once we are saved, we do the works of salvation. Our life changes. And, you know, God sees every change. And the church can get judgmental because we expect everybody to change the same way at the same speed. That's what people do. But God knows exactly how much you've changed. I'm going to be very honest. Some of you have come to me for counseling. And I have to remember this because sometimes I'm like, if I look in the flesh, I'm like, Lord Jesus. (laughs) But when I start listening to the stories, I begin to realize God has been working on this heart over and over and over. And they have moved a thousand steps from where they were. They've still got a million to go. But man, God has worked on them. Do you get what I'm saying? And this is the issue of discipleship. Being a Christian means you follow an invitation. Being a Christian is you just say yes to everything Jesus has for you. Beautiful, right? He has a buffet with all your favorite food, and I'm at the center of it. Do you want it? Yes. (laughs) But being a disciple means forsaking all. But there's a point to the forsaking, right? To have him. This is the beauty of God. There's this exchange that happens. It's not a contract. It's not a transaction. It's a relational thing that happens. Because yes, I'm forsaking all, but I'm knowing the king of the universe. I'm knowing the love of a father who will never leave me or forsake me. I'm being present with somebody who loves me. He likes you. Can I tell you a secret tonight? God likes you. God gets you. To use old 70s slang, God digs you. Somebody tell me what the Gen Z version of that is. Maybe we should not say it in church. Um, God digs you. Because he made you. He's... He's the reason you're here. It's his fault you exist. He wants you. He really, really does. And so there is also a difference between salvation and sanctification. Salvation, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, every human being can be saved from sin and all of its negative consequences, including death and separation from God. That's salvation. That is amazing. It's the free gift of God that is open to anybody who will receive it. But um, Acts 5 verse 31 says, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Leader is just the ESV version of Lord. To be Lord and savior. He absolutely is our savior. But sanctification, and that word literally means to become holy, to be made holy. Right? Um, it's the it's the it's the it's what God uses to transform us. It's an experience that happens after trusting in Christ for salvation and after God's loving acceptance of you into His family. Sanctification is our present experience of salvation. And a continuous process throughout our lives. Do you know? How do you know you're saved? Because you keep trusting Jesus for salvation. It was done, right? But every day I wake up and I realize, oh my word. <laughs> oh my word, Jesus. I need some salvation today. <laughs> you are it. I don't go, I don't crucify him again. I just step into the fullness of what he's doing. And this is sanctification. That's right, Siri. (laughs) Siri's getting saved tonight. (laughs) It's about time. (laughs) It is how God sets us apart and makes us holy to live the life He has called of us, called us to live, to live out the calling, the purpose, and the destiny that He has for us. And so sanctification requires two things: it requires a change of heart. It requires a change of feeling. Your heart is your passion. It's where your love is. Anything you're passionate about, you love. It's as simple as that. How do you know you're passionate about it? You give it time, you cherish it, you give it care. It makes you happy. You keep going to it. And can we be honest? Sometimes as Christians, we don't want to admit this because we use words like, I'm struggling with sin. I want you to be free, but what we're not owning is that I love that thing, that I'm passionate about that thing. I have been there, I might still be there right now as we're talking. And we get all holy about it, and we pretend like we hate it. But how do we know we love it? Because the second stress hits, the second crisis hits, who are we hugging and kissing? (laughs) Yes! (laughs) may it be so, brother. But if we're not kissing and hugging Jesus, that's that's what we love. That is what we love. Our own reputation, our fame, our Instagram account, sex and drugs and cars and husbands and wives and whatever, anything, we can turn, human beings have the most phenomenal capacity to turn the best things into idols. I made worship an idol. I was a worship leader. My whole identity got wrapped up in it. Guess what had to happen? I had to stop leading worship. You feel like we've been there, yes. Had to stop leading worship. Then it became the biggest irony of all because I became known more as a worshiper after I stopped leading worship. (laughs) than any other time, because we ended up doing a worship school, and I was very instrumental in that. It's just how God works. And I do play in the band occasionally. I love it. I'm not going to pretend, but I do it for Jesus. It's not an idol anymore. It's not an identity anymore. So we can turn the best things into idols, because anything that isn't the supreme lord of the universe <laughs> is an idol, if we're, if we're treating it that way. And so we've got to have a change of heart. If you want to be sanctified, you've got to be honest about your passion and your love. Where are you directing it to? And if it isn't Jesus and his will and his purpose, we've got to change it. Now hear me. There are hobbies. There are things we can, we, you know, in English, we don't have enough words. So we just love ice cream, right? But we also love our daughter and our granny. So it gets a bit confusing, right? It's okay to have, have you know, there are innocent things that we can do. But it's about identity. When we put identity into things, we're swapping lordship. That's the issue, right? And the second thing we have to do is change our mind. We've got to change the way we think. You know, we come to church and we worship with our hands in the air, and we don't pay attention to the words. And then we go home and we think it's okay to be racist, sexist. We think it's okay to belittle our wife or... You know, beat our children. It's okay to be rude to certain people on the street. Whatever, I'm going down one theme, but you get it. Because we haven't changed our thinking. And if we're going to make him Lord, we've got to think like he thinks. How do we do that? The word of God. The best way to change your thinking is to read the word of God. Not just to read it, to pay attention to it. See, The only thing we should be obeying is what Jesus said. Now, Moses said some really good stuff. He also said some whack stuff. (laughs) How are you going to know the difference? Because you read what Moses says, and then you read what Jesus says. And if Jesus contradicts anything Moses said, which he doesn't do a lot, but if he does, guess what? Who wins? So if Moses says, don't marry a Canaanite woman, and then a pastor comes and says, Mixed-race ma- mixed marriages are abomination to God, which is happening in the world. Who do we believe? What did Jesus say? Love. We're all one in Jesus. The most important thing about Christian marriage is do you both believe in Jesus? Are you equally under lordship? Done. But you're not going to know that if you don't read your Bible. And so we get so weird about obedience because we're always trying to hear God, hear God, but God has told us everything we need to know in the Bible If you are not obeying the Bible, you will never obey anything God says to you. How will you judge what's being said to you if you don't read the Bible? And so we change our heart and we change our mind. And as I was preparing for this, I was actually talking to Lareko about it. As I was preparing for this, I realized that discipleship and sanctification are synonymous. took me a while to get there. They absolutely are, because sanctification is, how do I please God? How do I live for Him? Discipleship is telling you how you live for God. Okay, and you talk. We talk to each other. We read the Bible. We talk to each other. That's why we do foundations classes. That's why we have connect groups. If you are not in a connect group, you are suffering in your discipleship. It is as simple as that. Loreko and I have learned this year that theology is done in community, Because when you're alone and you come up with a brilliant idea and you don't talk to anybody about it, you might start a cult. (laughs) Because you never check to see, there's only one Bible and it's limited and it's been exegeted for the last 2,000 years. There are only so many possible ways to explain the scripture. And some of them are horrible. (laughs) And some of them are great. And so if you want to be discipled, get into a connect group. It is highly, highly valuable. And so discipleship and sanctification are synonymous. And lordship is literally the essence of discipleship. Lordship is, God, I want to love you more. I want to change my heart. And I want to understand who you are and what you say and how you want me to live. You are Lord. That is discipleship. And let me come back to the obedience thing. I was saying to you, we only obey what Jesus says. We don't obey what people say. And this is also why you read your Bible. Because we all grew up in churches where pastors and leaders told us things. Women can't wear pants. Wear. Wear. I went on mission once to a nation in Africa that was in turmoil. This is about 15, 16 years ago. Absolute turmoil. Fighting on the street. Universities shut down. We couldn't even go minister on the university. And so we got invited by a local church to come and minister there and to pray with them. In the middle of this chaos, for three hours, a priest talks to women about not wearing makeup and how that is the sin of the universe. And I sat there weeping. I'm like, this is the irrelevant church. This is why we're not making an impact. (laughs) There are real sins going on, and this is what we're blaming. See, there are things people say that the Bible doesn't say. And you're not going to know that if you don't read your Bible. Get around healthy theology. No human is perfect, right? Us as leaders, Lyrico, we have sermon planning meetings. We talk. We bounce things off together. We, CJ is a part of that. We do, um, uh, we do theology in community. We endeavor to do the best we can. If you ever hear us say anything that you think is contradicting the Bible, please come and talk to us. But you better bring your Bible. And you better have done the work. I don't want to hear reverend so or so or pastor that and that. I want to hear what Jesus is saying. That I am very, very open to. Because we can make mistakes. We try hard not to. But if you don't do the work, you will be deceived. That's not lordship. And so how do we do lordship? Oh, wait, let's, this is important. S.M. <laughs> Zwemer, unless Jesus is lord of all, he is not lord at all. That sounds rough, Right? <laughs> But you cannot get away from the truth of this, okay? Um, why? Unless Jesus is Lord of all, he is not Lord at all, because he is Lord and Savior. That's, that's how you keep seeing it. Even in Paul, didn't know exactly who it was he was speaking to, but he knew it was the Lord. <laughs> and then he gets born again. But this is what I think happens. I think it's because lordship saves us. Lordship is what saves us. Why? Because lordship is actual freedom. It's it's ironic, right? It's swapped around. But you see, we think freedom is when I just do whatever I want to, however I want to, whenever I want to, with whomever I want to. That's what we think is freedom, right? Like we talk about financial freedom. What does that mean? When you've got so much money, you don't have to think. You don't have to have a budget. You just do whatever you want. You just go on fancy trips, flying first class. You just do the things, right? Right? That's what we think of as freedom. See, the problem with that is we have no control over the consequences that are going to come visit us. And here's the irony. As Christians tonight, you can do whatever you want. No lightning's going to come out the sky and strike you dead. How do I know that? Well, I know something about you because I know it's true about me. I've already done that, right? You've already done that. No lightning came out the sky and struck you dead. Why? Not because God doesn't exist or he doesn't care, but because he wants you to grow up into mature sons and daughters. And he's not interested. God is not a narcissist. He is not a control freak. He does not manipulate us. He tells us the truth and then gives us choice. That is freedom. And so lordship tells us what God wants, and then we are free to make the choice. That is freedom. Freedom. If we actually follow what Jesus says, not what man says he says, but what Jesus says, we know the consequences that will come to our life. They are guaranteed. But why don't we like lordship? Why is it so hard to trust the Lord? Because this is how we need to do lordship, and that is trust. Psalm 37 verse 46 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. So let's just count it together. one, two, three, uh, four. Five. There are five commands straight up there that I can see. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Befriend faithfulness. Can you see the relationship? Not befriend unfaithfulness. Some of us like being friends with the bad boys, right? (laughs) We like things a little edgy and a little rough. (laughs) But Jesus says, befriend faithfulness, not unfaithfulness, Another command, delight yourself in the Lord. You see, we love quoting this, and what we focus on is He will give you the desires of your heart, but the delighting in the Lord is about relationship. If you have relationship with God, you will understand His purpose and His plans. What are the desires of your heart? Not your own, but His. Why? Because you've delighted in Him. You've agreed with Him. You've changed your heart and you've changed your mind so that his passion and his love is yours. Commit your way to the Lord. A commitment is I'm not giving up on this. A commitment is I'm choosing to do this. And when I wake up and it's freezing cold on a Sunday morning, I'm gonna put put something warm on and I'm gonna get out there and do it. That is a commitment. And then it ends again. Trust in him and he will act. Trust is the ultimate vulnerability. The reason I struggle with lordship, the reason you struggle with lordship, is because we cannot trust someone we don't know. It is as simple as that. You will not trust somebody you do not know. And we are the biggest liars in the world in this church, in every church this Sunday evening when we pretend like we know who God is and we've done nothing to befriend him. And we've done nothing to find out who he is. And I believe that for every one of you you have made an effort to know Jesus, but we've got to do better. And it's not about works, it is about relationships. And getting to know Jesus is that when we read something that touches our studio in the Bible, we sit there and we sit there and we read it and we read it and we pray until something changes in our heart. Because that's how we make Him Lord. And so tonight I really felt like we needed to figure out our trust in God. Because we don't trust Him and preparing for this i listened to many sermons i was really thinking it was quite an intense week as i had to deal with my own lordship issues and figure stuff out but something that really and it's stuff i've heard before but bill johnson and i I'll, I'll recommend it to you it's a sermon he preaches on lordship it's from psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd And some of the stuff he said there just was so powerful. And the thing I want to share with you, you go listen to the whole thing, it's amazing. But he said this, we think we've got a lust problem, an anger problem, an addiction problem. But what we have is a lordship problem. Because we don't know how to bring God into the middle of what we're going through. Because we don't trust him. And so tonight... We're gonna have a moment of ministry and I want you to do business with God. How is your trust with the Lord right now? Do you trust that he is good? Do you trust that he doesn't change his mind, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever? Do you trust that he is not a man that he should lie? Loreka and I were talking and one of the things we were saying is, we understand humans, we understand how to trust humans because we've all been let down, right? So whenever we're engaging with another human, we've had so much experience of how humans react that we're buffering ourselves. We've already got contingency plans. If Lebo lets me down, I'll figure this out. I'll never talk to her again. Whatever, whatever. I'll do this, I'll do that. And then we bring that to God and we say, I trust you. But we've got all the contingency plans. If you don't do what I want you to do, then you're not a good God. You don't love me, forget that, I'll just do it my own way. I've done it. I've been there so many times. We've all done it. But either he is who he says he is, or there's no point. Simple as that. And so we've got um, communion. (laughs) Grace is getting us the communion. We've got the communion elements. And what we're going to do is just open up the front altar here. In fact, if everybody taking communion can come down this side. And what I want us to do is we're not going to lead this moment. This is between you and God. How is your trust with God? Guys, can we put both of them that side? Um, And taking communion tonight is going to be a symbol of you recommitting to lordship. And let me help you. Lordship is a process. That's what I've been talking about, right? There's a process of sanctification. Nobody's arrived. Nobody's perfect. Absolutely nobody. But we've got to recommit. Let me read John Piper said this. From the time of our first saving acceptance of Christ, he is our King and Lord and Savior and priest and prophet and counselor. All that he is, he is for those who are his. And then I love the sentence. And then begins a life of faltering and growing yieldness to Christ In all that He is. See, if you're faltering at something, it means you're failing. (laughs) But here's the beauty of that. If you're failing at something, you actually tried. If you're not failing at anything, you're not trying. And this is sanctification because it's about relationship with God. It's about learning to trust him. And sometimes we're good and sometimes we're not. But we realize and we re-acknowledge and we come before him. Does this make sense to you? And so this is open to you, and I, I just encourage you, if you want to trust God more, if you want to commit more to pushing him into it, if you want to make a commitment to God that you're going to do your part, you can't do his part, but you need to do your part. If you're going to just commit to redoing that, then come down. And as you take communion, make that commitment to the Lord. So as you're, as you're led, just come down. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We want to make you Lord. We want to submit to your lordship. We want to live our lives under your lordship. Help us tonight, Lord. We we bring our sin. We bring our failure before you, Lord God. We bring God our mistrust of you before you tonight. And we want to repent, Lord. We just want to receive a fresh start, Lord God. Fresh grace. Fresh strength. Amen. So as you lead, just come down.
0: Jesus, we just want to thank you, that you are somebody that we can trust, that as we grow in our trust of you, Lord God, we can submit to you better, Lord God. We take this moment just to rededicate ourselves to you, Lord God, to ask you, Holy Spirit, to reveal to us areas in our lives where we are not truly submitted to you, Lord God, to give us wisdom and understanding to help us to know what we need to do, Lord God, to be submitted to you. I ask that as we go into this week, Holy Spirit, you be with us, guide us, lead us, speak to us, Lord God, that we may begin to, to know your voice in an incredibly intimate way, Lord God, that when you whisper, we'll know it's you. We don't need big signs. We don't need shouts. We're so close to you, Lord God, we can hear you whisper. Thank you, Lord God, for everything you do for us. Let me just make ourselves available, Lord God, once again. Give you everything. May no room be shut to you in our hearts, Lord God. It's all yours. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.